0: Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at GetHope.tv. If you're not from the Greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by.
1: Well, it is good to be back with you guys this weekend. And uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I shared a little vision message and I talked about an opportunity we had to buy a Kmart down in Garner in Southeast Raleigh and got everybody jacked up. But I wanna encourage you, I wanted to commend you, and so I told you how good your giving had been. Okay, you remember that? And I said that we were like 10% over budget. Well, ever since I commended you, every week our giving has been under budget. Now. That just goes back to my old coaching days. Don't ever encourage them too much or they'll take it for granted, right? So I just wanna tell you, we still wanna finish the year strong because God has given us a great vision. We're gonna make a great change and the triangle and the communities, but we need we need to stay involved financially. Uh, this is the time of year where we ramp it up. We wanna finish strong, and so if you've gotten a little behind, we want to, we encourage you to get back on board and help us do that. Also, you could really help us, it was probably mentioned earlier, uh, we want to reopen. We have a reopen plan, but we need your input. So if you could go uh, to the web address, if you could take the survey, that would be a great help to us uh, to know how to plan and what to plan for. Now, this is the fourth week of our series uh, that we're basing on the life of the prophet Elijah. And I want to give a shout out to Chase last weekend as he taught from 1 Kings chapter 18. I call it the showdown on Mount Carmel. And uh, maybe one of the, yeah, he just did a phenomenal job. And uh, maybe one of these days you guys will go to Israel with me and we actually stand on Mount Carmel. It's one of the most moving places, I think, in all of Israel. But it's where Elijah took on the prophets of Baal and he prayed down fire from heaven. And if you missed it, you didn't see it, you didn't get to listen to it, uh, you need to go back and listen to it. But this weekend I want to start out by just kind of reviewing what we've learned so far about Elijah. And you may remember that Elijah just appears out of nowhere in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse one. We, we know his name, Elijah. Uh, we know that he's, he's, he's from Tishbe, he's a Tishbite. That's all we know about him. And God gives him his very first marching orders. He says, listen, I want you to go to the king of Israel, King Ahab. I want you to go to the palace. I want you to march into the throne room. I want you to stand before him and I want you to deliver the message there's going to be a drought. There will be neither dew nor rain until you say so. And Elijah writes it all down. He says, I got it. So he goes. He goes and he goes into the palace, he goes to the throne room, he goes before uh, King Ahab of Israel and he says, "Uh, I'm Elijah, Uh, I'm, I'm the Tishbite from Tishbe. Maybe you've heard about me, but I just want you to know there's gonna be a drought, there's not gonna be any dew, there's not gonna be any rain until I say so. And then immediately on the heels of that, knowing that Ahab is probably not gonna like that, that he's gonna come after Elijah, God tells Elijah "Then I want you to go hide by the brook Kareth. And you may remember God gives him a promise, 1 Kings 17, verse four. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord for he went and stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. So I don't know what it was like, maybe he had a nice roast beef on sourdough every morning and maybe a turkey on whole wheat or something in the afternoon. He got to drink cool water right out of the brook and for a prophet like Elijah, life is pretty good. But as we saw in the story, one morning he woke up and the brook that had been flowing all of a sudden had become a trickle and then one day it dried up. Now, I, I didn't say anything a couple of weeks when I taught this story, but my guess is that this point in the story, Elijah was no different than we are when things in our life don't turn out the way we think they ought to turn out. He probably had the exact kind of thoughts that we have. Maybe, for example, what happened? What happened, God? You told me to come to this brook. So I came down here by this stupid brook and you promised me that there would be bread, and you promised me that there would be water, you promised me that there would be meat, what happened? And often we find ourselves saying, God, I did exactly what you said, but the wheels have come off, what happened? So we find Elijah asking that question, then probably why me? And like us, Elijah probably thought, I can think of at least 100 people who actually deserve a dried up brook. I mean, think about it, God, I am your prophet, I'm on your team, I'm on your side. I don't know a lot of people who would go around delivering these messages of despair and doom. But listen, God, I'm not winning any popularity contest down here, so why would you do this to me? What do I do to deserve this? Do you ever find yourself asking questions like that? And then of course, the third one, God, where are you? You made all these promises, why is the brook dried up? And God, I haven't seen a raven in days, what's going on? So. This is where we find Elijah, his brook has dried up. Life is not turning out the way he thought it was going to turn out. And like us, many times in a situation like that, he's disillusioned, he's confused, he never saw it coming, in fact, think about it. Elijah has done exactly what God told him to do. Totally obedient, but yet he still finds himself beside a dried up brook. And then you get to verse eight of 1 Kings chapter 17, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Stay there. I have directed a widow. And now we are introduced to one of the many single parents in the Bible. But before I talk about her and introduce you to her, uh, let me just say a word about Zarephath. So he's leaving the brook Careth, he's going to Zarephath. This word in the Hebrew means to smelt. It's the idea that you turn the heat up so much, uh, so, so intense under ore that it melts it. But it also means crucible. So God tells Elijah, listen, I want you to leave the dried up brook (laughs) and I want you to go to the crucible. And I'm guessing that probably every single parent listening this weekend can identify with the crucible. So you understand the crucible of having maybe to sell the house and divide up your possessions. Uh, You understand the crucible of having to go to court and divide up the time that you can spend with your kids. You understand the crucible uh, of the daily demands that have now been doubled. Uh, You understand the crucible of no longer having a social circle which which to belong. There's the crucible of financial stress and needing to be able to provide the needs, the demands, the wants of a family. The difference now is you're doing it all alone. You're doing it all by yourself. But I want you to understand your situation is no different than the single parent in this story. I'm sure that at some point she had known the thrill, the excitement uh, of of starting a journey with an individual. She was 100% confident would never end. But now, on top of being alone, on top of being a single parent, well here comes an added demand of a guest. And it's a prophet. She may not even know his name, but he's some guy named Elijah. Look what it says in 1 Kings 17, verse 10. So he, Elijah, went to Zarephath, the crucible. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, hey, hey, bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, we get that. The brook is dried up, you know. The, the raven stopped showing up with the subs. And so all of a sudden, he's thirsty, he's hungry. So he meets this widow and says, could I have something to drink? Could I have something to eat? And then he adds in verse 13, and then make a little something, something for yourself and your son. And you read that and you think, how pretentious is this guy? I mean, go back to verse 10. It says, bring me, verse 11, bring me, verse 13, make me. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like our kids. Help me, give me, take me. But it's just another day, another routine day in the life of a single parent. Hey mom, I need $25 for the field trip. Where's my soccer uniform? Did you wash my soccer uniform? Dad, I need help with my science project. Can you take me to Billy's house? When are we gonna eat? Can you bring snacks for the soccer game? All the other parents bring snacks to the soccer game. And it never ever ends. The demands just keep coming. The difference is now, as a single parent, you're doing it all by yourself. And then add to that the pressure of limited resources. Look what it says in 1 Kings 17, verse 12. This single mom was no different. As surely as the Lord God, your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it, and look at these last two words, and die. I'm telling you. It can't get any lower than that. And single (laughs) or married, you may feel like that's where you find yourself this weekend. And maybe it's because of COVID, I don't know, but you have no resources left in the bank. You don't know how you're going to make it, and then add to that the pressure that Christmas is rapidly approaching. So understand, this is where the single mom finds herself. She's at the end of her rope. And so Elijah asks for something to eat. He asks for the water, but she replies to his demands. Listen, I am planning one last meal, and then my son and I, we're basically gonna lie down and starve to death. But Elijah tells her in verse 13 of 1 Kings 17, don't be afraid, verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. You gotta understand, at this moment, it's exactly what this single mom needs to hear. See, she's at the end of her rope. She needs some hope. She needs someone who can come alongside of her and give her that kind of confidence. And I'm telling you, every person listening this weekend, including myself, we all get into positions where we need that. We all find ourselves in situations where we've lost hope. And we're just hoping that someone will come along, brush up against us maybe, and give us a little bit of hope. So Elijah says to her, listen, you're gonna have all you need until it rains. You're gonna make it. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna stand on your feet. And I love 1 Kings 17, verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I'm telling you, it was like bojangles around that house every morning, right? I mean, they did have a lot of variety. It was like, it was like bread and water in the morning and then water and bread in the evening. But here's the thing they didn't go hungry. And this is what's interesting about the story, because God provided her faith is revived, because God provided her hope is renewed. Maybe, because we love these kind of stories, maybe, just maybe, her and her son live happily ever after. Or maybe not. Because one night, while she's sound asleep, her son comes in the room and says, Mom, I don't feel so good. And then over the next few hours, his symptoms get worse, and in verse 17, the world comes crashing down around this single mom. It says in verse 17 of 1 Kings 17, he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. That's just a biblical way of saying he died. So think about this mom. Things have been bad enough, but now, now I mean, it's all she can take. She's at the end of the rope. Have you ever come into a situation like that? I was at a, recently, I was invited to a birthday party. One of our friends uh, was throwing his wife a surprise birthday party in downtown Raleigh a few months ago, and it was on top of a beautiful building and um, you know, and a kind of a rooftop patio type thing, and it was a nice party, and all, everybody, pretty much everybody there was from Hope. And then uh, he also is part owner of a bar that's down on the first floor street level, and of course they can't open because of COVID, but he said there's no rules that we can't have private party, so he says, whoever wants to, let's go down, let's smoke a cigar, let's hang out. So some of us went down and we were smoking cigars and I I began to talk to a lady that I saw kind of serving food and taking care of people up at the party and she was now taking care of things down at the bar and I got into a conversation with her and she found out we were all from a church and then she found out I was the pastor of Hope and she lives close to here and then she began to open up and share her story and her story was like this, she said, two years ago I lost my 10 year old son to cancer. And then almost immediately after she lost her son to cancer, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And I said, so how is it? And she says, they're not giving me a whole lot of hope. And she said, see the guy over there? And It was a guy that had also been upstairs working the party. She said, that's my fiance. She says, we're supposed to get married, but I don't know how to tell him I don't think it's the wise thing to do. She was at the end of her rope. I'll come back in a minute and tell you how the story ends. But that's where we find this single mom in this story. She is at the end of her rope. I mean, she's already a single mom, she's already run out of food, and now she picks up the lifeless body of her little boy and she goes looking for Elijah. And she's not looking for hope. You know what she's looking for? She's looking for a villain. Look what it says in verse 18. She finds him, she says to him, what do you have against me, man of God? You can just kinda get the dig there, right? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So think about this. She lashes out at the one person who's trying to help her. And I, I guess we've all been there, right? You try to help someone, you try to do the right thing, and somehow it backfires on you, it blows up in your face, they turn against you. But Elijah, he shows incredible maturity. He doesn't try to defend himself, you know. He doesn't try to defend God. God doesn't need to be defended. He doesn't quote verses like, well, I'm sorry, but you know, Romans eight twenty-eight. all things work out together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You ever done something like that? He just stands there. He lets her say what she's feeling. He just lets her vent. I mean, he's more than happy just to be the scapegoat. And when she's finished, when she said everything, she's got it off her chest. He reaches out 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 19, and he says, now think about this moment. Give me your son. Now, I'm not even sure Elijah knew at this moment what he was going to do. I don't think he knew what was going to happen. I mean, if you're like me, when you find yourself with a person who's really hurting, uh, there is no game plan. Uh, There's no strategy. In fact, nothing in seminary uh, prepared me for those who needed to lash out over the years just because of the hurt they were going through. I'll never forget... There was a woman in our church, she had been here for about 20 years and she was almost like a sister to me and uh, our sons had grown up together and I received word uh, one day that her son had been found. He had passed away, he had died, he had been in his apartment five days and they wanted me to go deliver the news to her. And I'll never forget, I had to drive about 30 minutes, I walk in, she saw me, just a smile broke out on her face and I said, I gotta talk to you. And she immediately began to tremble and she says, oh no, it's, and she named her son. She said, moms just know those things. And I told her that he had passed away. And I just remembered the rage, and I just remember her beating on my chest. And all kinds of things were coming out of her mouth. See, you don't learn that in seminary. You, don't learn, you learn that in zero effect. You learn how to deal with stuff like that. in the crucible, see, Elijah's been there. I mean, remember, this is the guy who was told to go by the brook, and the brook dried up. So he understands. But I want you to see how Elijah gets personally and intimately involved in this need. Look at verse 19. He says, give me your son. Elijah replied, he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. I love this prayer. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Verse 24, then the woman said to Elijah, now I, this is so cool. Now I know that you are a man of God. She knew he was a prophet, but she didn't know that he was a man of God. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. In other words, I think this is what she's saying. You know, since you've been around the house hanging out with us, I've heard you talk about the God of heaven. I've heard you refer to him in various ways. But when I see this miracle, I know your life speaks the truth. I I know that you live what you say you believe. You don't just talk to talk, you actually walk the walk, but my point is, he saw a need and he got personally and intimately involved. Let me go back to my story. So she says, they don't have any hope. Cervical cancer, I don't think I should marry him. I said, well, yes, you should. I said, you should get married. She says, well, we've kinda of put everything on hold and we don't have any plans. I said, well, that, "That you should get married. In fact, you should get married right now. And she said, I said, I'll marry you right now. And she, she said, I don't have a, a marriage. By the way, don't send me any emails about they hadn't been through premarital counseling, okay? <laughs> I said, I'll marry you right now. And she said, we don't have a marriage license. I, I said, it's Friday, you go get one Monday at the courthouse, bring it to my office, I'll sign it. We Got plenty of witnesses. So she called her fiance over, and he walks over, and she says, this is the pastor at Hope. He thinks we should get married. He said, when, and you could see him beaming because you could tell he wants to. And she's the one who's being hesitant. And she says, right now. He said, we get, should we get married? I said, yeah, look at all these people. i have them put their cigars out. We'll marry, we'll marry you right now. And they looked at each other. and she said, do you want to? And he said, yes. And he said, do you want to? And she said, yes. So they came around the bar, came out. I said, hey, listen, got everybody's attention. I said, I explained the situation. I said, we're gonna have a wedding. And so, they stood in front of me, I officiated the wedding, they exchanged their vows, we borrowed some rings from people in the crowd, they exchanged rings. And then a bunch of us just gathered around, and we put our hands on them, and we prayed for God to work in her life, we prayed for healing, we prayed for safety in their marriage, and this is what's really cool. While all of this was going on, somebody was going around in the crowd to everybody, saying, how much cash you got on you? How much cash you got on you? In about five minutes, we took about several thousand dollars cash and gave it to them and said, by the way, this will take care of your honeymoon. I just received word this week that she's responding very, very well to the treatment, see. But I thought, she, she is a perfect example of someone who just needed someone to come along who believed in a God of hope and give her hope. I wanna wrap up this by just pointing out some things that Elijah demonstrated in this situation. First of all, and I'll just go through them, there was calmness and contentment. I mean, in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this calamity, he just quietly says, ma'am, give me your son. Second, there was gentleness, self-control. He calmly just laid him on the bed. There was undiminished faith. I mean, that's a bold prayer. Let me remind you of it. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. I'm saying, by any standard, that is a bold prayer. And then fourth, there was humility. When it was all said and done, he simply went and gave the boy back to his mom. Didn't call a news conference. Didn't get a team together and start doing crusades and raising money. He just gave God all the credit. My point is simply this. In this tragedy, Elijah had everything he needed to be able to handle the situation. So he got involved and he made a difference. I was reading this this story. Do you know what it reminds me of? You'll think this is weird. It reminds me of The Wizard of Oz. You ever seen The Wizard of Oz? 100% the worst movie I have ever seen in my life worst acting, worst production quality. I'm telling you, a three-year-old can make a better movie. And I never saw the movie growing up because I grew up in a house where you went to church every Sunday night. And back in the old days, and you young people can check out because you can't even relate to this, you only had like five channels on the TV, remember that? Five network channels maybe, maybe a PBS channel. And once a year, one of the networks would show The Wizard of Oz, and they always showed it on Sunday night. And we were always on church on Sunday night. I never saw The Wizard of Oz until I had kids. And then they watched The Wizard of Oz. I watched parts of it. I thought it was stupid, so I didn't really watch it. But the other week, I was a few weeks ago, I was watching football and the Panthers were playing, and who wants to watch the Panthers? And so I, I, started, I started channel surfing, and on, on TBS, they were showing The Wizard of Oz. And I, I never had seen the ending of it. So I, I watched the last like, 45 minutes of The Wizard of Oz, and it may seem like a strange analogy, but as Christian, I'm telling you, we have a lot in common with Dorothy. I mean, think about this. For example, first of all, she's not the first person to find herself surrounded by brainless and heartless and spineless people. That has nothing to do with the application. I just threw that in there, as free. But I'm telling you, when Dorothy gets to the Emerald City, I'm telling you, the comparison between Dorothy and the similarity to the Christian life is unbelievable. Do you remember the story? Remember they went to, they had to find the great and wonderful Oz and they had all their different issues. The scarecrow wanted a what? Okay, you haven't seen it either. He wanted a brain. The Tin Man wanted a heart. The Cowardly Lion wanted courage. Just give, yeah, he wanted courage, just give me courage. Dorothy, she just wants to get home, right? And so the Oz, what does he say? You know, the big smoke's going around. Oh, mighty Oz, you gotta take out the Wicked Witch. Bring me her broom as proof. And so they go and they take out the flying monkeys. That's a great, I mean, it's crazy. But anyway, they bring back the witch's broom to prove that they killed her. And then Toto goes over and starts pulling on the curtain. And there is no great and wonderful Oz. There's a little fat bald guy with some levers levers, and a little computer and smoke, you know, behind the curtain. And they're so disappointed because he was going to grant their request if they would just take out the wicked witch. And like, wait a second, if you're not the great Oz, what are you going to do about our request? And this is basically what Oz tells them. He says, you already have everything you need to complete your quest. It's been inside you all along. You just dealt with the wicked witch, you know? And in your moment of crisis, he went right through scarecrow, you know what? You displayed wisdom. And he said to the, he said to the 10 men, you had heart, you had compassion. And he said to the cowardly lion, in the midst of all of that turmoil, you displayed courage. And Dorothy didn't really need the help of Oz Almighty. All she needed was a good pair of ruby red shoes, which she already had in her possession. Do you know where I'm going with this? You're like, Mike, are you on something? I have no clue what what in the world you're talking about. Okay, I'm going to bring it home for you. Here's the moral of the story. You already have everything you need to do what you need to do. When you see a need, you already have everything that you need to do what you need to do. So you have everything already, if you're a Christian, you have everything you need to survive the trial that you're facing right now. You have everything you need to make the decision that you need to make right now. You have everything you need to take the step that you need to take right now. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, now look at this, and will be in you. Note those last two words, in you. Not near you, not above you, not below you, but in you. Not an angel, not a philosophy, not a genie. God in you. You see, the wizard says, look inside yourself and find self. God says, look inside yourself and find me. you find me. You'll find all that you need to do what you need to do. The first one will get you to Kansas. The latter one will get you an abundant life that will lead to everlasting life. Now you have to take your pick. You have to take your pick. Let me say one more thing about uh, single parents before I wrap this up. This is the time of year where single parents just need someone to come alongside to give them a little bit of hope. And at Hope, I love to challenge us to do that as a church. Maybe they're in your neighborhood. Maybe they, they work with you. Maybe your kids play on a team and it's a single mom or a single dad there. And maybe you could could somehow get involved in their life. Maybe it's something you do as a family, maybe it's something we do as small groups, but maybe you could get a list of gifts that they need for Christmas and you could purchase those gifts. Uh, You could invite them to spend the holidays with you. Maybe you could babysit sometime during it just to give that single parent a break. But we have everything inside of us we need to be to do the things we need to do. So I would just encourage you over the next few weeks, let's just kind of be that kind of hope to all those single parents around us like this woman in the story who just need a little bit of hope right now. Father, thank you for the example of the prophet Elijah. Thank you for his faith, his courage, his humility, his gentleness. Thank you for his ability to be tough when he needs to be tough but to be tender when he needs to be tender. Father, as we watch him in this this series, as we learn from his life, help us to figure out how we can live the same way. But Father, help us to understand that many times these lessons are taught not in times of prosperity and joy, they're taught when the brook dries up in our life. Are you when you send us to the crucible to learn the lessons that you would have us to learn? so we can be the people that you've called us to be. I thank you for his example. May we learn from him. May we become like him. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.